If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas, and I'm excited that you're here. And with that, we're going to jump into this week's podcast here in just a second. We're going to hit up our sponsors that help make the show possible. There's lots of companies that I believe in that I think help veterans across the board, whether it's find a job, hire talent, become more efficient in their practice, all those things, right? So these sponsors mean a ton to me. So I know a lot of people will fast forward or skip through them. But if and when you're looking for help and some of the solutions they offer, I would highly, highly encourage you to check them out. And so with that, no further ado, jump into the ads and we'll get right into the show. So thank you for listening and uh, enjoy. I get it, Isaiah. You talk about Bitcoin all the time. Well, as I go out and about, I continually hear the demand for any more Bitcoin education, or I don't really understand. I hear you talking about it. I know you're passionate about it. I know you have a lot of conviction, but I need more info. And that's where Bitcoin for Vet Med really came from, was taking, hey, the 10,000, 100,000 hours of time that I've spent and distill it down into bite-sized courses and walking you through of getting a foundational why, a little bit of understanding the technical side of Bitcoin, and then how to grapple with the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and just the things that you hear throughout the media and giving you the ability to up your Bitcoin knowledge to go from zero to hero and feel a lot more comfortable saying, okay, this is something that matters and I want to take some of the value that I create and save into Bitcoin. So head over to bitcoinforvetmed.com or click the link in the show notes. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Finding a job or finding a veterinarian shouldn't be a waste of time. Enter an offer first. Paul Diaz and team have created something really special with Offer First. Some of my favorite reasons are as follows. Candidates and employers will both have values aligned on the first step, not the last. The sign-up process, quick and simple, no resume required. So if you're looking for a job, but you aren't really sure, it's as easy as scrolling on Zillow for a home. And finally, if you have a great match, it's based on your each unique requirements, not random keywords. If you want to learn more, listen to episode 179 with Paul Diaz. We cover all of that. The other exclusive great thing that you're going to get from this ad read and from Paul is I convinced him to give an exclusive discount to listeners of this podcast. So for owners, you're getting a 20% discount on both the placement of any candidate, but also access to the platform. Use VSP if you go to offer first or the easiest way is a link in the show notes. So check it out. Associates, those looking for a job, same thing. Use the link in the show notes. Use VSP if you go directly to offer first. But 
I will donate and Paul will donate to a veterinary nonprofit of your choosing. So each person that signs up gets a vote. Your votes actually count, which is incredible. And so I'll be reaching out. I will handle that. But there's going to be a donation made for any associate or any job seeker that adds on the platform. We want to make sure that not only does the platform help to make sure that you find a better fit, better culture, better role, but it's also doing good in veterinary medicine. Okay. So link in the show notes is going to take you to offer first. It's going to automatically apply that, but also use code VSP if you go to offer first directly. And offer first is changing the game of veterinary recruiting. I want each and every one of you to benefit from it. So check them out today. Find out for yourself why my friends at Shepherd Veterinary Software are the fastest growing practice management software. They're doing something right. Founded by Dr. Cindy Barnes, Shepherd is an intuitive, easy to learn, streamlines practice management. Built for vets, by vets, it works for you and your team so you have more time to spend on what's most important, your patients. Shepherd automatically updates the medical records, adds services to the invoice, generates discharge instructions, and so much more. Bring home more stories and less stress. Check them out at shepherd.vet. Again, that's shepherd.vet. All right. Well, welcome back. So we have a fun podcast this week, which is going to be one with previous guests and folks that are involved with the Veterinarian Fine Show Advisor Network. We're only missing one member, sadly, but to get a quorum of four people together is always tricky with calendars. So Andrew Langdon, Ashley Foster, and Stu Suffin, which I always anticipate saying wrong, Stu, so I apologize in advance. All three CFPs been on the show as individual guests. You've heard them before. I'll link to their episodes if you want to dig in more to history. So we're just going to get together, kind of chat through personal finance, round table, different questions, things that are top of mind and go from there. So it's going to be a little different style of an episode, but gentlemen, thank you for coming on and welcome. Happy to be here, man. So I'm going to have a handful of different questions. I'm going to go through one. So I'm going to single out the person that was a little unsure if we were actually doing a podcast first. So I'm going to call him out, which is Andrew, right? But last time we talked, Andrew, you were doing the SEPS, so the Sustainable and Equine Practitioner Seminar. And I just wanted to get big takeaway, how to go, anything like that that you want to share just to kick it off. And then we'll, we'll do a little bit more open conversation. Sure. Yes. I know you had attended in the past and I was obviously honored to be invited. And it was a phenomenal event. It was a great event. Very intimate. I think there may be, I think there were close to 20 or 25 equine vets that had attended, most on the East Coast, but really all over the country. But it was really good to kind of understand because most of the conversations I have definitely deal more with small animal. And so some of the similarities that are involved within equine veterinary medicine, but also a lot of the differences that they experience as well, not just personal finance related, not even really necessarily like how they practice medicine, just kind of how their transitions and, and kind of lives work and like just the traveling and taking into account health and wellness, how it's very important to do that too, which I mean, can be brought across all of it, just the differences in that kind of lifestyle aspect of it. It was good. It was good to have those conversations. And I was, yeah, very obviously very happy to attend. Yeah. Big fan of those events. I think it's a super fun one. One that I certainly will miss being a part of as an advisor, as I can't officially use that title anymore, even though I'm a CFP still, right? I'm just not a day-to-day doing the same thing that you all are doing, which is why I wanted to bring you on. And I'll open this up and I'll let anyone that wants to answer. And if you want to skip it, you can skip it. You don't have to answer the question, right? But if anyone has as we kind of reflect and uh, review a year, I think it's always fun to say, was there a favorite story, a client win, a case study, something that you think would be worthwhile to share? And it can be within vet med. And I think a lot of our conversations and clients are within vet med, but you know, I know everyone has clients that maybe are closer from a personal perspective or a referral from someone that was a veterinarian that is not in vet med, but anything top of mind and anyone can take it. 
all the win for a client. It's been a lengthy process. Works at a feline-only clinic. Was curious of whether or not she would be able to buy in, obviously dealing with corporate consolidators and that kind of money, and, and just wasn't sure on the process, and it didn't. <laughs> It's still in process, taking a long time, but it seems to be moving forward. LOIs are provided, things like that. And so that's something that she really wanted to accomplish. It's been a long time coming. and I'm happy that she's going to be able to do that. So that's definitely been a big win for her. That's awesome, dude. Mm-hmm. That's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, I'll go next. I've got multiple this year, but I think the biggest one that was really exciting to me was a client of mine who's an ER vet, and she was working in a more rural practice and definitely not being compensated. And I'm sure the listeners probably can relate to this. Definitely not being compensated what she was worth. A lot of folks had quit the practice. So now as someone in her second year vet med of practicing is now basically left alone, no mentorship, no nothing. And she was pretty unhappy with obviously with the situation, but was very fearful of change. And kind of the way that I see my view as a financial planner who works with mainly younger veterinarians is the idea is to help them not only save more, but help them find ways to make more, right? Because that's going to be the biggest predictor of their long-term success. So after kind of a lot of discussion and things like that, we had a conversation. She didn't want to move, right? She had family in the area and stuff like that. But but basically, I was like, look, if you're going to run into the same things, right? Yeah, they gave you a raise, but it's not what you wanted. You're working like crazy. You are not learning anything. You're not being mentored. And I think a lot of folks can understand that and can relate to that. And so through a lot of conversation, a lot of deep, kind of like what I like to call deep imagining, right? And just kind of helping her realize what it is that she really wants out of this career. And then also what she really wants out of her life. It came to a decision like, hey, if you need to look for something on the outside, look for another position, look for another role. And through some context of mine, I was able to go ahead and connect her with a recruiter. And that recruiter was able to go ahead and uh, and move her along a process with a larger corporate practice. And then all of a sudden, three months later, she hits me up, says, hey, they're accepting me into this program. They're going to teach me how to be an ER doc and all of these great things. And I said, wonderful. Well, let's basically a year later almost. She's making now, we sat down and ran the numbers, and this year she's going to make close to $300,000, right? For Well, not this year, but for her next year, right? If she keeps the production the way that it's been going. And she's in a more, just a larger city. So there's obviously going to be a lot of production that's going to be coming her way, which is excellent. We sat down, we ran the numbers, and her eyes just opened up wide, like, oh my God, I didn't know I could make that kind of money. And I said, yeah, this is exciting. Now we can do all of these wonderful things. We can get your student loans in line, right? You can pay those pay those down. We have a plan created for you. You can invest more, right? You can start going out and living a better the life that you want. You can go out to, always talked about going to Ireland with a group of friends. So now you can go and like plan this trip of a lifetime that you've always wanted to do, right? And that was kind of a big deal, not only for me as a planner, being able to kind of guide her in a direction to give her the confidence to move to an area where she can make more money. But for her as a client, just kind of just seeing the excitement on her face, like knowing that like she's in a position where she gets mentorship, benefits, she's going to be making double what she was making at the previous clinic, right? Yeah, she had to move to a higher cost of living area, but who cares at that moment, right? She's making new friends and she's really enjoying her life. That was one of the bigger wins for me this year. I thought that was really cool for her and exciting for her. So, Love it. It's great. Yeah, great job, Ash. I mean, you've walked us through an entire journey there. That, that's outstanding. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. It was a journey. It was a journey, definitely. <laughs> On that point, though, mine may not be as 
journey-ish, but I'll give you a little short story slash an interesting one. I had a client, only thing vet med related is that she is a retired vet, but I heard she had some inheritance and one of part of that inheritance was actually a painting. And I'm terrible with names at the best of times. So Isaiah, you did great earlier. You got my last name right. You'd be surprised at what I've heard. So good job on your part. But I can't even pronounce the name of this artist, so I'm not going to try. So this painting she had, she retired and you know had a decent amount of money, was debating, do I go back to work? Do I pursue more philanthropic things that are more meaningful so I don't have to worry about money? And she was close on that little threshold of, mm, might want to work maybe a couple of years just to get to where you feel more comfortable. But she put this painting on auction, her and her brother, and I think it was through Christie's in New York, so I know Ashley might be more familiar with that. But somebody all the way across the world in China bid over 200 grand on this piece of artwork that they weren't expecting much out of. So it was just like mind-blowing what global connections can do for somebody's retirement, first of all. But I mean, what a boost, right? I mean, who saw that coming? I mean, I thought that was just amazing. That's awesome. That is fascinating. Is it an artist that we would have heard of? I don't know. Is she... I really wish I could remember the name. It's slightly abstract. She actually, I think, passed away in the last 10 to 15 years. She had some renowned. I don't think she was Leonardo da Vinci level of recognition, but I mean, somebody across the globe knew about her. I, I wish I could remember the name, but it's not even hitting my head right now. <laughs> I got to walk around and see what I got here. Maybe I'll throw some pictures up. Too. I need to. <laughs> got a treasure mine in there. <laughs> Andrew, you did say you were in a spot where your kids would play at times. There could be some early artwork if you're, uh, one of your kiddos you know, becomes famous, so you better hold on to it. Don't, right, don't recycle sure. it, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think art is so challenging. Stu, I'd be in the same boat. I mean, Ashley asked, will we have heard of them? There's probably about three or four that maybe I've ever heard of. Like art is not definitely the thing that I'm going to lean on or, or kind of cite as my expertise, but that is really, really cool never experienced that, right? Never had anyone that inherited artwork that was worth, you know, you get stuff that's sentimental, right? But not anything that's got legitimate value like that. That's really cool. The other thing that just kind of recapping the different stories and you guys interject as you want, but actually to your point and kind of the journey that you went through, it's like you can spend less or you can make more. We can try to overcomplicate personal finance a lot at times, but sometimes it does boil down to that. And it's like, if you have this skill set, one of the easiest ways to get a little bit more breathing room is to go look for other opportunities. And it's not always the answer, but if it's like, if you enjoy the work and you can go make more, why would you not want to explore that? And that is really, really cool to see that. And you find another role and perhaps then there's other goals and other things that someone gets interested in. And obviously, Andrew, yours with the buy-in is near and dear to my heart with the passion for practice ownerships. That's really cool to see. So I appreciate you all sharing those stories. I'll share one more win, more personally, but I got to meet Ashley in person for the first time at a conference, which was in Atlanta. So now, Stu, you're the only one I have yet to meet in person. So maybe one time here soon. We'll have to fix that. 2024. <laughs> and you guys aren't terribly far apart. I mean, it's not crazy, right? Georgia, you're in Virginia, correct? So maybe not too bad, but yeah. Yeah, Southern Virginia. It's about an eight-hour drive, if I remember correctly. We'll meet You're in the, the halfway for a vacation. Yeah. You're in the halfway. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're at the halfway. Yeah, come to my house. We'll have a party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. And Andrew and I got the opportunity to meet each other at a conference, man. We had a great time. We had a real good time. Lucky for him, it was the conference was only about 30 minutes away from his house, uh, a little bit further from me. But we had a great time, man. It was a lot of fun connecting. 
Yeah, and kind of relating back to that step seminar, it's always good to, I mean, another cliche is to, you know, work on your business as opposed to in your business, but it really is good to get other people's perspectives on how they run practices and, and you know, their own firms and how they implement not only like processes, but like thoughts and things like that. And so those are always good to kind of st- take a step back and, and again, just kind of separate yourself from the minutia almost of day to day. As you go into 2024, as you have conversations with clients, any kind of planning topics that are at the forefront, any changes that you feel like people should be aware of or consider as they kind of think through new year, I'm going to get my finances in order. I'm going to think about this a little bit better. Any thoughts, things you want to share, just ideas? I have one. So I I do work with a lot of self-employed relief vets and even those who might be practice centers as well is setting up solo 401k. So now they're offering a $1,500 credit, $500 credit for the next three years and typically not available to those who are self-employed. However, and I attended a a webinar the other day, simply by adding what is like an auto-enroll feature to that 401k within like the plan documents itself, they can take advantage of it. So if there's any trepidation on the cost of setting it up, maintaining it, the credit itself almost pays for that. And that's a good opportunity. Some of them, even right now, before you're in, like to get it established, you don't even have to fund it right now. You just have to have the account open right now and be funded for, it can be funded next year for this tax year, 2023. That's something that I'm working through, like a lot of my clients who already have this established just to kind of take advantage of that credit. That's more near term as opposed to throughout 2024, but it's something that we're working on right now. Yep. And this is going to be recorded quick and be turned around fast. So we're not going to sit on that. That's great. Super, super helpful for folks. Stu, anything top of mind for you? Yeah, just anything tax related. Always being a little bit ahead of the curve on that's helpful. But I know with student loans, well, going back to the student loan side of things, I want to say I haven't, they've been changing the rules so much over the last year. It's hard to keep track sometimes. With the new save plan replacing the repay plan, I believe there's some timelines sometime before June, if I got my timeline correct. I got to fact check that. But some of the options to switch between save and some other plans are going to be disappearing, or at least that was the original plan, because they want to try to get everybody on one of three or four plans maximum to quote unquote, make it simpler. But depending on income levels, it ends up costing some people more if they're not proactive and getting on the right plan. So revisiting your student loans and making sure you're on the right repayment plan before it's too late, that's something crucial to keep track of in the upcoming six months or so. Absolutely. So I know you both work with folks with student loans. Have you seen a big impact when you think about cash flow? Because I know that was a conversation I had tons with people. It's like, well, we're not doing anything yet because they're still on pause and now they're back. How much of an impact is that? Because I saw a stat the other day that basically 40%, again, I don't know how factual this is. It's something I saw on the internet. You always got to take that at face value that 40% of uh, loan student loan payments were already delinquent with those restarts, which I thought was interesting. That's not necessarily vet med stat, but that's just kind of showing that people are kind of stretched already. Yeah, I guess I can say I've been somewhat fortunate and the, the individuals I work with, and we have these conversations as well. It's you know just because you're not making a payment now doesn't mean you need to bake that into your overall expenses. And so they've been pretty proactive and did a very good job of saving that, whether it be just in like a high yield savings account or somewhere else to not account for with it. So I haven't had as many shock, if you will, the payments restarting and, and kind of dismantling their overall monthly cash flow. But I have definitely heard, as you have it probably on the internet and just kind of you know first hand through social media and things like that, of some of those instances where they were making, you know, fifteen hundred dollars a month, then they stop for three years and then it starts again and then it's like, well, where is this going to come from? So there's sacrifices made elsewhere. Luckily for me, not nothing that I have 
personally encountered within any of my clients or, or conversations. I would agree with that. Thankfully, a lot of vet med colleges do a wonderful job educating them on student loans to begin with. So most people I've spoken to, they saw this coming and it's not a shock necessarily. They've mentally prepared for it. Now they're just living it, if that makes sense. I wonder how much of that stat is attributable to the fact that I know a ton of loan service providers, they sold the loans to different companies and all that's been switching around. I wonder if some of that was just simply people not realizing they may have had to restart their repayment method or something to that effect. Yeah, this says 40% of student loan borrowers missed first payment after pandemic era freeze expired and they skipped their first payment. Some are confused or overwhelmed about their options. They want to make sure that borrowers understand. And this is coming from, it's Politico is where it came from. Unfortunately, it doesn't surprise me. (laughs) I mean, no. Yeah. And some people, it's like, well, if I just uh, shred that, maybe I don't actually have to pay it. That's never a good idea, right? Or if I just delete that email, it's not actually real. But when you think about student loans for a lot of people, I mean, that's going to be a huge portion of their expendable income for each month. And if things are tight as inflation has caused some challenges, depending on what their cost of living situation is, if you rent, obviously you have that adjustment. If you maybe recently bought a place, that that's another challenge as well. But yeah, Ashley, any thoughts on student loans restarting and impacts that you've seen? Yeah, it's been quite the exciting second half of 2023 when it comes to student loans. A lot of confusion out there. A lot of folks really kind of just stressing about the restart and things of that. So the government's the government. Nothing ever goes off according to plan. There's always hitches, right, and things of that sort. But it was very stressful for a lot of folks out there to try to get that reorganized. I think now that at least with my client base and things of that sort, we did a lot of rehab work, a lot of looking at, okay, does this new safe plan make sense for folks? Does it not? Who's a good candidate for consolidation, especially those that maybe had old commercially held loans or Perkins loans? It was kind of the mess. But I think one of the things that really was very beneficial to some, at least some of my clients, was the quote unquote on-ramp period where basically the government would give you some time. They wouldn't send your information to collectors and things like that if you skipped any student loan payments. For some of my clients, that was huge for them because there was a lot of maybe there was some credit card debt that they needed to take care of and things like that. And they were facing maybe uh, $800 a month, you know, even on a repayment plan, student loan bill. And it was like, hey, guys, maybe you can take advantage of this on-ramp. And then you can also maybe dedicate those dollars to more important things, such as paying off credit cards and then not having anything sent off to collectors. And that was a big deal for several of my clients. And it gave them a a ton of breathing room. One of the other things that I just recently saw, and I want to throw that out to y'all, is the IDR waiver. I just saw something yesterday that the government extended, the Department of Education extended it to April 30th of next year, of 2024, to give more folks time to do consolidations and things of that. Have any of y'all seen that? I guess that? It's, I mean, it's good for those who don't have direct loans with fell loans, because a lot of everything I'm reading, there's a lot of people out there who simply by consolidating would have everything forgiven. <laughs> Didn't have the help, don't know the options. So yeah, I mean, I think that's good to extend it past that date. But uh, yeah, I think it came out, what, maybe two days ago or something, or maybe yesterday. Yeah, it was pretty recent. So I think the comment, Stu, that you made too is you want to make sure going into 24, right, 
you revisit these conversations because what was right a while ago is maybe not always the case moving forward and important to check on. But Ashley, any other kind of planning topics, changes, things top of mind for you as you kind of go into 2024 that you encourage people, whether it's just something to keep in mind? I think the biggest thing, not only just student loans for my clients, I think just helping clients continue to figure out what to do with money that they've just had sitting on the sidelines for the longest time. You've got a high yield savings account that's paying anywhere between four to 5.3, 5.5%, right? As planners this year, I think the interesting part was hearing clients who were in their early 30s asking about CDs, right? CDs are things that like your grandparents bought, right? They weren't things that like someone that's a millennial would purchase, right? But interest rates were so high this year that I think that those became very attractive. Well, now the market is starting to turn, right? I'm not making any predictions there in 2024 for what the market's going to do, but we may have interest rates possibly coming down next year and those types of things aren't going to be as attractive. So I think helping clients, at least in the second half of this year, now that we've gotten maybe their student loans situated, getting them comfortable with investing in the market, helping them grow their wealth in that manner has been a top of mind conversation for a lot of clients. And I think that's been very productive. And I think they've kind of seen that like, hey, the market's starting to take off a little bit. Folks are going to want to take advantage of that. And then helping them realize that creating a consistent process for putting money to work in the market with a diversified portfolio is really going to help them in 2024 and beyond. But the key is, is they've got to start now. And if we, when getting them to realize that if you're hoarding cash, things look attractive today, right? But when those interest rates eventually start to come down next year, they may not look as attractive. And we want to help them find ways to grow their wealth for the long term. So those conversations for this year, towards the end of this year, have been really kicked into high gear for my clients. So what should I tell my clients who are looking to buy a home what mortgage rates are going to be? Now, you're talking about 2024 predictions, and I just thought I was figuring yeah, out. Yeah, I, you're right. hey, yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm going to ask for some actual prediction know, a little bit, so <laughs> don't be jumping ahead, guys. Come on now. <laughs> my, my crystal ball doesn't work in Mexico, gentlemen. <laughs> we'll just wait till you're back stateside then. It's all, it's all good. We'll add an edit. But that is a good question, right? If someone did buy a home, let's say in 23, right? They finally were just like, screw it. I'm, I need to make this change or it's the right time or from a family perspective or something, right? What do you think about rates and mortgages and all that from that standpoint? Yeah, that's a popular question I've been getting from a lot of people. And because Ashley's crystal ball is broken, I don't have any answers anymore. So thanks, man. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you took it out, if you took it out at the peak, right? So you, let's say you took out a big mortgage and it was high in the eights, right? Like it's probably going to look like from what has been said that rates will have the ability to be coming down that you might want to refinance in 24. Well, prices haven't dropped at all and interest rates are kind of peaking too. I mean, something's Historically speaking, I mean, something usually has to break at this point. It's just a matter of which one breaks, the rate or the price. And that's something I don't really have a good answer for on my part. I know. I think that's another topic if we go back to things that folks have been talking about for 2023 is housing, right? And what the when's a good time to buy, right? Interest rates are high. The prices are high, right? We've looked at buying, my wife and I. And it's just, it's really kind of been very frustrating to see what you can get. And then on top of that, pay a seven, 
to 8% mortgage. So that'll definitely, I think, for 2024, I think there's going to be a lot of demand of folks. If interest rates start coming down, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be wanting to take advantage of that. But I think the folks that got 2.85% 30-year loans, I think it's going to be very difficult for those folks to give those up. And so, like Stu said, something has to break in that regard. I agree with that. I'll say to put things in perspective, too, you got to think back in like the 80s. I mean, I'm only 30 years old, so I wasn't alive in the 80s. But back then, rates were 15, 20%. So compared to then, I mean, rates aren't technically bad on a historical scale. But to people who are used to 2.8%, it's terrible. So some of it's relativity, too, I think. If you can improve the health of an animal, you do it, right? Of course, that's what makes veterinarians special. You're mission driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They want to help you improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they've prioritized having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. Well, I think it's the asset price too, and it's the affordability piece. So if you look at the 2023 numbers, affordability per income percentage that was spent, it was as bad as it's ever been. And I think that's the key piece where you see how unaffordable housing has been, whether it is purchasing or renting. And that squeeze is definitely felt where, again, something has to change there. I did see something where there was a comment made that from the federal government, they wanted to help people buy homes or they're going to cap stuff. They're going to make changes. And it's just like more government intervention typically leads to worse outcomes, not better. And so that's the the thing that I would say is if the government touches stuff less, it's usually a little bit better. So we'll hope that they don't screw things up too bad because it's already gotten to the point where there are some fundamental reasons why it's gotten so expensive. And I would say the interest rates being low for so long, that's what drives up asset prices. And that's what you've seen. You've seen asset price inflation since the great financial crisis across the board. If you look at you know, the rate of return, and there was a really good tweet from Ben Carlson from uh, Ritholtz last night that I kind of made fun of in a way, which is par for the course for me, but the NASDAQ having great returns, which is the tech stocks. And it was odd that all the 30 plus percent returns and some of the best returns of the NASDAQ ever have all occurred since 2009. And it just makes you wonder like, hmm, what happened? Why is the last 40 years that these great returns after that? It's like something changed there. So I don't think housing is going to have this massive crash that some people like keep calling for because of what, Ashley, you just talked about. There's pent up demand still. And if rates can come down where it's affordable enough based on incomes, people are going to go and buy because they want to and they're going to live their life. And I don't think there's going to be this massive 80% correction in housing. I just think those calls are going to be wrong and continue to be wrong. I think we all have to put that into context, right? And we go back to putting, you know, I go back to putting my financial planning hat on, right? Because buying a home is emotional. I bought a condo back in 2010. I'm aging myself here for y'all. But that process was so emotionally draining for me. And this is when homes were plentiful. This is after the Great Recession. This is when people were losing their homes left and right. Foreclosures were everywhere. 
I mean, the price that I bought this home for, I bought it for about maybe 30% less than what the previous owners had bought it for, right? So, but even then it was just such an emotionally draining experience. And I think for a lot of folks, really having the conversation about is a home a want or is a home a necessity, right? Are we letting emotion drive that decision or do you really want? And I think that's been a conversation as well that I've had also with clients over 2023, even with higher interest rates, a lot of folks want to save for a home. And it's really a conversation about, are you ready for a home, right? So I go back to at the beginning with the veterinarian that, that moved to the bigger city from the rural area, right? Had she purchased a home, in her rural area, the converse being able to move to chase a better opportunity would have been a much, much more difficult proposition than renting, right? So as a financial planner, don't let that emotional drive for purchasing a home overtake the logic of like, is the home really a necessity? Are you ready to plant roots? Are you ready to build a family in that area? Are you going to be there for the next, you know, five to 10 years, right? I think those conversations are important as well. Any other questions that have come up more this year than than others? And Ashley, you kind of mentioned housing was a big one that's continuing to come up. Any other questions that are coming up more than you've heard, you feel like this year more than other years? I'm trying to think. I'm drawing a blank. CDs. I think that's a funny one. I, I agree. I've heard that more and more uh, people wanting just to park cash. I think it's a misnomer in their case. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 rather wild. I think the theme that I've heard this year, and it's not necessarily a conversation about like a specific thing. There's just, I think just among a lot of folks, clients and and not clients, even like my peers, has really been just a conversation about just the undercurrent of discontent. People seem to be frustrated about something, right? And it's been one of those things where some of it's money related, some of it's inflation and things like that, right? You go to the grocery store and you see that the the price of something that you used to get, which was, is a lot more expensive, right? It's the housing conversation. I think it just kind of all goes back to maybe just uncertainty in general, right? So like going back to student loans and even I was feeling the vibes, right? Where it was a lot of folks didn't know what to do. The program seemed to be changing all the time, right? All of a sudden, was save going to be a thing? Was it going to be called new repay? What was going to happen when payments restarted again, right? How many stop and start repayments there were? So folks were like, is this real? And I had to let folks know like, yes, this is going to happen this time, right? And so I think just maybe the general theme that I was hearing from clients was just, just a nervy discontent, not really having an idea and not feeling like they had a lot of control over kind of what was going on outside of their personal financial situation. That really seemed to me to be what was driving a lot of the conversations that I was having with clients, helping them kind of feel like they were maintaining some sort of control. If interest rates were going up and they wanted to buy a home and now they felt like, oh crap, 8%, I can't afford that. That doubled the price of what a mortgage would have been a year ago, right? Did I miss out on the right time to buy? Things of that sort. It just felt like a lot of folks, for me at least, if there's a theme or a conversation, a general underlying, it was just the vibes seemed to be, folks just felt the vibes were not good, right? It seemed just a lot of discontent. I don't know about y'all, but that's kind of the underlying theme that I was really, really capturing from not only clients, but friends and associates of mine. I would agree. I would say most of the conversations maybe circling around that for me were related more toward employment. Like they were 
discontent with current position. And I don't know if it's societal pressure on like within veterinary medicine, like this person's making this much more than me. Like they just moved over here. Like, why am I still making this? So mine were more financially related. It's tough to have those conversations too. I think it was, was it Carl, Carl Richards or maybe Morgan Housel, one of them, where basically it's like risk is everything that's left over once you've thought of everything. And it's very difficult to kind of be comfortable with uncertainty. But unfortunately, like in, in finances and really just in life, like that's something that becomes a necessity. But those conversations are tough because we try to control everything, even things are outside of our surroundings. And it's just something that's not able to be done. Like you just can't control things that are outside um, of certain things that, again, you do have control over. And so... Yeah, the conversations are very important, how they relate, obviously, to personal situations and obviously finances, too. But, yeah, most of those conversations I've had have been more around like, is what I'm doing on the track of where I want to be in, you know, five, 10 years. Have it, have it. Stu, anything you want to add? I think I'll probably combine both Ashley and Andrew's opinions. I've been seeing a lot of both of that. It's, I mean, student loans have changed. Markets have been weird. Housing prices are up. Corporations are making work miserable for so many veterinarians. There's just a lot of unrest, discontentment, and uncertainty. Like, they're like, what do I do? I just got all these things trying to hit me in the head, and how do I manage it all? So there's not a lot of trust in the environment, I think, is a good way to phrase it. I think that's an excellent way to phrase it, too. Yeah. I wrote down when, Ashley, you were talking, the discontent and frustration. And then I wrote down, what do you do, right? What are the actions that you take to kind of offset those feelings, right? And Andrew, I think you mentioned something where you have to kind of be comfortable with just not being able to know everything. I think that's part of it. But I want to throw that back. And I know that it's a really hard thing to answer. But what do you do with the discontentment and frustration? How do you guide someone through that? Or how do you think through it yourself personally? I don't do this, but I read this once and I thought it was a great idea. Maybe I should implement this. It was probably going to butcher exactly what was said, but it was kind of like you take a notepad, write down everything that you're doing. This is really related to finances, right? It's like I'm saving into my... 401k, high yield savings, whatever. I'm working on certifications, continuing education, whatever it is. I'm, I'm building production within my practice, whatever my role is. I've got these insurances in place. I've got like a safe plan. I'm working toward like my lifestyle, what I want to achieve. Those are things that you're doing that's well, that's in your control. And then when things start to get out of hand or you start to get that uneasy feeling, you go back to that list. And you're like, look at all these things that I have accomplished, that I'm doing, that I'm making progress toward where I want to be. And these are the things that I can't control. So it's kind of I guess it's quasi form of maybe like journaling, but just kind of having an understanding of where you are, what you have done very well that you're able to do and doing your best to let go of what is out of your control. So I, again, I do not practice that. Perhaps I should. That is something that I do remember hearing that I thought was a great idea. I think that's an excellent idea, Andrew. And I think that above and beyond that, I think the key is having an accountability partner to have those conversations with. So case in point, my wife is doing a program where it's a lot of deep imagining and, and a lot of kind of like trying to really visualize what a path forward in her career, in her personal life and things like that, right, come to the forefront. Now, I'm good at listening at some of those things. I try to do the best I can, but I, the benefit is that she also has a friend that's going through a course like that with her. And they're great accountability partners. And if something goes wrong at work or something like that, she can talk to the friend who's also a veterinarian, because my wife's a veterinarian, right? And they relate on that level and they can have those conversations, right? And I think that's kind of the best way that you can get through some of those bad vibes, right? Kind of in our perspective as financial planners, 
not only are we helping you with your finances and helping you realize your dreams, goals, right, guiding you towards that future that you envision for yourself, but also we can turn into those accountability partners, right? So if a client is having a bad time at work, right, we set up a a call and we just walk through it, right? What's going on? Tell me a little bit about kind of the situation, things like that, right? If they're going through one of those bad vibe moments where they feel that they need to switch jobs or they need to, and I think this is pertinent for veterinarians, they need to leave the industry, right? They're getting very fed up with what's going on, right? I think that's a conversation a lot of veterinarians have inside of themselves, is like, is this the right thing for me, right? And then just helping them realize that you're doing excellent work, you're doing wonderful work, you're really helping people and getting folks to talk through some of those issues, I think is very helpful. And I think where all of us as financial planners can really serve a great benefit and do serve a great benefit for our clients is those times when things aren't money related. I mean, they may be money related, but a lot of emotion goes into that, right? Because money's emotional. And just having those conversations to really guide them through what is going on in their lives. And I think that's also just to throw one more thing out there, the importance of working with financial planners that understand your industry. They understand, right, they work in the industry, they know the veterinary business, they know the ups and downs, right? So I think that's very important to also make sure that or have an accountability partner that understands your industry and working with somebody that understands your industry as well. Yeah, it's all very well spoken. And actually, Isaiah, when you asked the question, I had an image pop up in my head. One of my really good friends in the D.C. area, Zach Kaufman, he's a personal trainer, and he had a T-shirt. That just said, trust the process. Because if you're building good habits, you're doing good things, the rest tends to fall into place. No, great words, right? I mean, an accountability partner, some people need that as well. Find the way that works for you. But it's such a simple statement, but I think it's so effective. If you build good habits, I think the rest of it will just fall into place. Just to give a short, simple answer. Yep. Excellent. Yep. And my simple answer, which will come as a surprise to zero people, is the reason a lot of people are discontent and frustrated is because fundamentally the money in the unit of account that we measure everything by is broken. Point. Simple. That's why you're frustrated. That's why there's all these misaligned incentives. That's why housing is borked. That's why all these things have happened. There's a lot of issues with that, right? And I think if that gets fixed, life changes for a lot of people because so many things are downstream of that. So... That is the way that I would say that's what you do, right, is is you try to make that change. But I want to get crystal ball predictions for 2024 that will absolutely be wrong. And I used to do, and I made this joke on a recent episode, I used to do predictions and I was so horrible. I was like, I can't continue to just sound like a a moron at the end of every year so that people can go back and find them. Although no one's really called me out because they forget that I do them, but I remember them and I'm like, oh, that was a terrible prediction. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I'm going to let you do terrible predictions and I can remind you. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> any, any predictions, it doesn't have to be financial. It can be something that you found interesting. It can be something that's funny. I don't care. Any, any predictions or any things that you want to throw out there for 2024? <laughs> well, I said that my crystal ball is broken because I'm in Mexico here with my family, but I've also consulted with my Mexican witch doctor. And my Mexican witch doctor says, that, and I'm just an optimist by nature, I think 2024, I don't want to say it, speculate where the markets are going. I don't want to speculate where interest rates go and things like that. But I think in 2024, the vibes are going to be better than 2023. Yes, I know it's an election year and election years are always fraught with a lot of kind of just bad vibes. 
no matter who your person is, I mean, no one wants them, right? It's just like we have choice between two folks that we don't really maybe not want to go for, right? But I do think that in 2024, I think people are going to feel better than they did in 2023. I think that inflation will be more under control. I think when interest rates start coming down, hopefully we can get that quote unquote soft landing that everyone's been hoping for and hopefully will materialize. And I think people will just kind of really take stock. It'll be two years after the pandemic. I just think people are just ready to feel good. And 2023 has just been a year of really bad vibes. And so I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm going to say the vibes are going to be good in 2024. People are going to be a little bit happier with everything that's going on. And I, as the eternal optimist, am going to hope, wish, and push forward just the narrative that 2024 is going to be a great year for a lot of people. I should have had a vibe <laughs> counter at the beginning of this. because <laughs> I do like it. There's legitimate good vibes, bad vibes. So I like, I completely appreciate that. That's a bold call for 2024 though, I will say. Like I said, I consulted the witch doctor. They threw the bones out there. They said good vibes in 2024. So I'm going to wrap I want the listener to think that I'm pessimistic. Oh, sorry, Stu, did you... No, if you got something on your heart, speak well, it, my friend. <laughs> I don't want listeners to think I'm pessimistic because I'm really not, but I I do love playing devil's advocate. So I'm going to say the opposite only because Ashley said everything was going to be rosy. Uh, I don't know. I just don't – I don't really – I want to say I don't really necessarily foresee that. I can see – so I, I've kind of read a little bit into I think what is it, Neil Howe, the fourth turning, and kind of how these crises and they, you know, they kind of go within generations and timeframes. I think we're getting somewhat close to that. Embarkment, so I'm not going to predict it, but I'm just going to say maybe I guess I wouldn't be surprised for there to be a lot more unrest, both geopolitically and domestically as well. But I, I do think there's a lot of good, I guess if you want to say, positive vibes, great um, headwinds heading in to 2024. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to say I'll, I'll remain optimistic about it, but I will uh, I will not be surprised if it is not necessarily the case. I'm going to go out on the limb, too, and I'm going to say with quite certainty that student loans will continue to be a cluster. Um, that's a bold, bold prediction. That's my financial prediction that it's just going to remain a disaster. <laughs> you do not have a Mexican witch no, doctor. I I <laughs> Send that to me in the chat. Well, I live out in the rural areas of Virginia with a lot of farmland around here, so I'm going to be consulting the Farmer's Almanac for my predictions. And according to them... <laughs> Your headwinds are going to be bringing a lot of snow this coming January, so choose your words wisely. Aside from the weather, I think I lean a little bit more on Ashley's side, where the last few years, two, three years, it's been so much stress, misery, uncertainty. The market's been losing money, not consistently, but in general, it's been causing a lot of stress. I mean, people don't like feeling stressed, crappy, and they want to make money. I mean, I think people's attitudes are just going to go, I don't like being here. And I think the overall growth mentality of societies in general is going to take precedence and we're going to start getting back into growth mode. And I think the economy, the general world, I think everything is going to benefit from a general need to be better. So that's my bold prediction. We're tired of this crap. <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, I've shared my opinions more than you all have lots on this podcast. So I'm not going to rant and rave here at the end, which might surprise some people. I'm going to just ask for kind of closing comments or anything else that you want to leave with. And if you feel like, hey, the prediction is where you want to leave it, that's fine too. But anything you want to close with or any way to round us out? 
I think what what I'll close with is is as we're coming towards the end of 2023, and I'm I'm predicting the quote unquote good vibes for 2024. I think you also have to take action. I think if you want to be in a great position, if you want to really take advantage of good things coming your way, I think you have to take action. I think you have to, if it's a financial thing, it's take action on your finances, right? Set a goal for yourself, something that's attainable for 2024 and really, really dive into it. And it can be, if it's a financial goal, great. If it's a personal goal, you want to take a look at another opportunity inside of that, right? You've been talking about how much you're not happy at the clinic you're at. Well, take 2024 to really take action and look at at what else is out there, right? I think people this is just my personal belief. I think people create their own luck. I really believe that putting yourself in a position to receive good luck, right? Well, good luck will come your way. Good vibes will come your way, right? And so taking action, really having a plan or really setting yourself up to explore things that maybe you weren't thinking about in 2023, I think is going to be the best thing for a prosperous and successful 2024. So my parting thoughts are, Good vibes, everybody, for 2024. And put yourself in a position, if you're unhappy with your situation today, to explore what else is out there. And if you need some help, reach out to one of us. Reach out to Andrew, Stu, right, myself, Isaiah, what have you, but reach out and get some guidance, right? Take action in 2024. And the best way to do that is is to work with somebody that can help you in that regard. I'll go next. So again, preface with my pessimistic answer to the Previous question, I think very similar to what, what Ashley was saying is mindset is big. So like, I think that if you go in with a negative mindset, great things aren't going to happen. Like you do have to kind of change your mindset around that. One of the things that I have personally kind of delved into and loved, even as like a financial professional, is really the understanding of behavioral finance and behavioral economics and really understanding how our brains are still very primitive in that regard. There's a lot of conversations about emotions and, and how emotions can affect money and a lot of these decisions on buying, purchasing, and, and how it does affect our behavior, I think it's critical to understand like why we behave that way and what are some ways that we can use, like whether it be almost like automatic saving, you know, just not having to think about it, not having to put in the manual processes behind that, but not just necessarily around finances but everything else, but just really understanding how our brains operate, why we think the way that we do, understanding our money history, how that impacts our decisions, how that impacts our relationships with our spouses and those who are close to us. I think those are really big precursors toward financial success and kind of having that optimism and, and working toward, like Ashley said, goals in, in 2024 and really obviously years beyond that too. Yeah, I think I'll just add in that attitude is huge. I think if you can have a great attitude and truly believe, not just say, well, maybe it'll work out. No, I mean, believe that things are going to be awesome. You're going to be awesome. You have the capacity to do whatever you need to do. And I think you'll find what you're looking for. I love it. I appreciate you all coming on, having a conversation, kind of bouncing around with different ideas, not knowing what I had planned for this conversation, which was a lot of fun. I leave you with the same thing that you all talked about. It is mindset shift. Be gracious for what you have, right? There's a lot of people that would really, really love to be in the situation that you're in, maybe even yourself years prior. But yeah, there. if you're stuck and you feel really, really stuck and it feels bad, make a change. You have to make a change. You can't stay in a, a bad spot. And then, you know, finally, I'm always going to say it, maybe, maybe buy a little Bitcoin. Bitcoin is hope. Bitcoin is something that uh, I think is, is helping improve the world. And it certainly has been something that can help from a financial perspective as well. 
76% of the time over the last 13 years, it's been the best thing to own. So continue to think about that. And I think 2024, we'll have good vibes for Bitcoin. I'm so still riding with there. that Bitcoin, man. I got it. I've got 0. <laughs> 0.01 per one Bitcoin. I'm hoping it turns. I'm with you, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, All the best. And we'll talk Merry soon. Christmas. Thank you, Thank you man. See y'all guys. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment tax or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. However, you are intelligent enough to make decisions for yourself. So I do encourage you to dig in, learn for yourself, and not just outsource every decision that you make. You should talk to your professional team if you have one before implementing anything that I talk about, but also make sure they know what they're talking about. Push them, question them. That's healthy. That's okay. Oh, yeah. And you should probably own and learn a little bit about that Bitcoin thing. The biggest compliment you can give to me is to share the show with a friend or the podcast if there's another episode that you really like. That helps folks find it. That helps it grow. Um, reviews are critical. The Apple Podcast is the platform that's predominantly used for how people find the show. So if you have three minutes, love the show, please head over, give us five stars if you believe that's what we earned. That would help more people find the show. Also, if you're new, go to YouTube. It's a channel. Uh, putting up all the videos there as well. Sometimes it's going to be more interactive. Other times it's just going to be the conversation. So vainly, I want to get 100 subscribers so I get the vanity URL. That's the goal. We're on our way, but not quite there yet. For all of today's links information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss any episodes in the future. And finally, if you'd like more information, insights, or have the ability to, for your voice to be heard, join the Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinarian Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom, about your host, click on the Facebook icon. And thanks again for listening. I appreciate you. All right. So there are a lot of great job postings that I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-call or emergencies. It's appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes in the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure. Far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing, small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border. Full-time ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients and clients in outdoor woman's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is the owner wants to find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through, and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos. Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available to practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time on paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you, full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there, so no ER, no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered, and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic, so type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital. 
personable small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five doctor mixed animal practice in Northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on-call, 24-hour ER, less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95000 Can be straight salary, pro-sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits. Again, too much to list. Please reach out to watertownpetcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out. Let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know. And we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon.